0: It's Jennifer Diane Gostin, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. You, the listening audience, will have the opportunity through episodes in this podcast to learn, dissect, and grapple with some of the issues involving those of us separated from our biological family. You may have wondered what reunion looks like from an adoptee's point of view, or be embarking upon taking that journey yourself to search for your first family or simply want confirmation that you are not alone in your experience, wherever you are on the path of healing and pushing through a trauma? Wouldn't it be empowering to have many of your burning questions answered here? My guest today I met through Katie Peck, who can be heard on this podcast, Season 7, Episode 114. Thank you, Katie, for introducing me to the lovely Michelle Madsen Hinton. When I read Michelle's piece published in The Flourish Experience, The Power of Adoptee Healing in Community, I repeatedly said yes. The title alone resonated with me because I'm aware of the big difference between fitting in and belonging. I'm referring to Michelle's essay, Belonging, which she agreed to read during this recording. In this episode, Michelle shares her relinquishment, adoption, and being thrown into reunion journey as early as 19 years old. During a prior chat, I learned that she is not only a talented writer, but a skillful artist who created the beautiful cover for the Flourish Experience book. It's titled, Mirroring. Michelle writes on page 14, I wanted to convey the duality of being an adoptee in my art piece. I drew orchids, delicate, unique, and extremely fragile. The stems are strong and will grow tall with support. The roots of some orchids are fully exposed, aerial, not rooted in soil, and will grow on their host. Orchid flowers are mirrored halves. One side mirrors the other. And then she goes on to say, with minimal color, I attempt to convey my feelings that I need to remain plain, unseen, always blend in, conforming to a norm to be in relation to the world. The top half of the piece is how I feel after being in community with other adoptees. The orchid has gained colors, strength, and dare I say confidence. I can be my bright and shiny self and speak my truths, share hard emotions, grow all without having to explain why it is such a triumph. The roots are exposed and cut off, yet we survive. Oh, I just love that. Allow me to introduce you to someone who is a perfect example of what Tara Brock describes in her book. Radical acceptance. When we feel cut off from others, our lives too can feel like a wasteland, empty of meaning, hollow and thin. We can neither awaken ourselves nor those around us from the trance of unworthiness. When into our wasteland comes someone who genuinely cares, we can come back to life in an instant. Michelle will eloquently explain for my audience how she came to understand there is no reason for her to people-please, melt into the background, nor water herself down in order to belong. Well, Michelle, I am so excited to have this conversation with you today. I know we're going to have a good time, and let me just first ask you, how are you doing in South Dakota?
1: Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. Um, Well, today's a beautiful day, actually. So we have such varied weather here. So having a really nice day is, yeah, it's so fun. I get to go outside today and be outside rather than inside. So
0: very good. You know, I'm sitting here with the flourish experience book, In front of me. And I know that you've been a part of that writing group, Flourish. Yes. With Anne Heffron and Pamela Cordona. And so I know that was a really wonderful experience you told me about. And then you also were in a writing group with Liz DiBetta. And you know, I just recorded with her this past Monday and she's a lovely Yeah, she's a lovely lady. Yes.
1: Oh, that writing group was yeah, it was a separate writing group. To be honest with you, I have never considered myself a writer, but I saw that, you know, she was putting together the writing towards wholeness. You know, I said, I would I would love to do it and got chosen. And the experience with her writing group was quite amazing. It was different from flourish and that we only met, you know, I think seven times if I'm remembering correctly. Mm-hmm. So it was different um, in many different ways, but she kind of pulled the writer out in me. Um, Cause I really, I, I struggle with writing or I don't struggle with the writing. I should say I struggle with, with my voice. Like, is that really my voice? And sometimes when you write down the words and then you reread them, you second guess yourself. I'm really happy that I was able to be in the group and participate and, you know, read my final piece. And
0: Yeah, that's, that's great. I know the, the published piece in The Flourish Experience, I love the title, Belonging. And I remember when I read your piece, it just put me in the frame of mind that I seek belonging versus fitting in. So I'm so happy to know that you are going to read that piece and you can either read it now or later. It's your choice. What, what do you prefer?
1: I could read it now. I've got it right in front of me. Maybe, maybe then I won't be so nervous. I'll get it out from under.
0: Okay. Okay. <laughs> I like that. Yes. Whenever you're ready. So my piece is entitled Belonging.
1: And this is what I wrote, how, how Flourish affected me, how, how I felt within the community of I am 46 and still afraid to speak my whole truth. I can honestly say I have never really had a sense of belonging. I was in attendance. I was around others, yet found I felt lost and alone. That feeling convinced me I wasn't worthy of belonging. Coming out of the fog of the societal expectations of adoption can be liberating and soul crushing. Adoption is beautiful to most unadopted people. However, as an adoptee, the trauma, loneliness, sadness will catch you and steal your breath. The effect of adoption on my life is all encompassing. It wasn't a single event. It wasn't a single court date or gotcha day. I live it daily and can reflect on how it showed up in the past. The truth is I was not the first choice. I was no one's first choice. I don't belong. To sit down and write about my experience as an adoptee is hard. It's hard to explain and it's hard to hear. I know people may take offense. They are the ones who need to listen the most. It's not about you. I've written and erased pages of disjointed paragraphs concerned I wasn't making sense. Which is exactly right. Living as an adoptee is so disordered. How do I convey the duality of adoption to others? The holding of two seemingly opposite truths at the same time can feel impossible, even annihilating. Recently, I have begun to attempt to educate and convey the trauma of adoption and lived abandonment. Most don't want to really listen or learn. Exploring the effects of trauma on infants and lifelong trauma requires learning and educating parents, family, loved ones, and practitioners. But that requires communication, and it has rarely happened. Truth, I love my family, period, full stop. Truth, I hate the trauma of relinquishment that created it. Reality, I had to lose everything to be in my family. This loss is stored in our brains and our bodies and shows up later in a myriad of ways. I have felt this abandonment my whole life. I have stayed in relationships and friendships that were abusive in order to felt kept. My brain. I will be left again. If I am not good enough, they will leave me. If I don't behave, they will leave me. I was left before, why wouldn't it happen again? This taught me that love equals leaving one of my first memories is an example of this effect when i was four years old i was so excited to start preschool the in-home preschool was a few blocks from our home we practiced walking there and back the big day came for me to walk to school by myself and by the time i got a third of the way there i was terrified and sobbing uncontrollably i could no longer see my house i would never see my parents again I was positive. They left, I ran home sobbing and my mom couldn't figure out what was wrong. How was I to communicate that terror I felt at four years old? Even adults don't have the words and most won't talk about it. Thus began an extensive list of events where I had no way to explain what was wrong. So in essence, I was wrong. My parents thought I was shy needed to be pushed, overreacting, and too sensitive. I tried to be more than I was, be more outgoing, more self-confident. Unfortunately, you just can't wish yourself out of trauma. There are a few people in my life that try so hard to understand, my husband most of all, but it is not possible to understand. They can only imagine. But empathy is not a trait everyone can show. I can't tell you how many mental health disorders I have been labeled with or how many prescriptions I have tried to be fixed myself. So many pills, so many doctors. Problem is, it's all a misplaced band-aid and I feel like a gaping wound. Why didn't others see it? How do I just get over it? I am not broken. I have no fatal flaw that makes me unlovable, however, my brain has convinced me I am wrong bad and unworthy a parent would only leave if i was bad right and unfortunately society has perpetuated this false narrative if i am not grateful i am the problem how many other devastating life traumas are people expected to be thankful for yet when i speak of how it has affected me i am shut down told i am just an angry ungrateful adoptee an ungrateful little brat As a 40-something adult, I felt unmoored. My neurological system was on fire, and I had to find out why. In 2020, I took a deep dive into the adoptee world. I needed to know I wasn't alone, the only one who felt like this. I listened to podcasts, read every book and journal article I could find. Honestly, I was frantic. Nothing I had been doing to treat my anxiety, depression, agoraphobia was working. I had to know what was wrong with me. I have learned that there was never anything wrong with me. My reaction was normal for the abnormal situation. All those labels before were just symptoms of complex PTSD. All my worst fears happened before I had a voice. I was abandoned. The pandemic created an opportunity for accessibility to online communities. I discovered a weekly Zoom meetup for adoptees. It was fucking magical. Over the past 17 months, I have been surrounded by this amazing group of adoptees who are more like family, sacred friends. We discuss and write on topics related to relinquishment and adoptee trauma. We talk about the hard stuff. I have come to know what true belonging feels like. I am seen as I am without question, heard without debate, never told to shut up and never ever ignored. Each member of Flourish grants me grace, healing, understanding and a place where I am safe to fall apart. We are a network of people that fiercely protect each other. Our pain is acknowledged and can be grieved in community. The beautiful faces I see weekly Reflect with understanding. In essence, we mirror each other's truth. Mirroring our collective experiences, all so varied, but with one constant. We had all been relinquished. We all know that pain and grief. Together, we can heal. My internal alarm system has been blaring for 46 years. They helped me lower the volume. It's an enormous gift, belonging.
0: Mm. Your piece is an enormous gift to all of Thank us. Thank you. You're so vulnerable. And I think that last paragraph just sums it up for me. You put words to how I feel being better connected to the community. Yeah. Yes, and I I just totally agree that we had to pivot. Uh, many of us chose to pivot when the pandemic hit, meaning to yeah. to find something else to do so we would not be isolated. And and for you to find the adoption community in this way, I, I just think that's a good thing that came out of the shutdown for sure.
1: That honestly, yeah. Prior to that, I knew that there were in person, you know, adoptee meetups and But at that time in my healing or in my journey to healing, I was not able to really leave my home. I was what you would call agoraphobic. I rarely left home and the pandemic to me was an opening up of resources for those of us who can't necessarily go to in-person meetings for whatever reason. That from the pandemic, and I'm not saying the pandemic was a gift, but that ability for all of us to pivot and be able to do things face to face, but not in person, it really, it really helped me in my healing.
0: Yeah, I'm happy to hear that. Because 2020, like that's still, I would say, considered recent, right? Yeah, yeah. So all those years before when you weren't as connected as you are now, what tools were you using? How were you navigating this thing called relinquishment and adoption?
1: um, Honestly, I had gotten to a point before 2020, like I said, leaving my home was impossible. My neurological system felt so unsafe. Even in my own home at times, I couldn't sit on something that wasn't the floor. The floor is where I felt the safest and trying to figure out what was going on. I saw therapists and, you know, but a lot of a lot of what I was going through wasn't connected to, say, true anxiety or true depression. You know, I learned that this was post-traumatic stress disorder, you know, from the relinquishment trauma. And that started to make sense, you know, not feeling safe in my own body. Of course, I didn't feel safe in my own body. I mean, I was thinking back to my birth story. I was born premature, weighed three pounds five ounces, breech birth, and I was in an incubator for the first two months of my life.
0: Mm.
1: I cannot, I cannot imagine how scared that baby was, yeah. and I still, oh, I still don't have that connection. You know, it's like that baby. Putting that together as that was me is very difficult yet, but I understand now how terrified I was and knowing now that that is still within my body. That's what's triggering my nervous system to go into fight or flight. But going through this process, especially with the writing groups and with Flourish, being able to know that I had this meetup once a week, I didn't have to over-explain what was going on. Every single person acknowledged what I was going through, even though agoraphobia or things like that are often misunderstood about why or how it happens. They would listen and they would cheer me on. They still cheer me on. We still meet weekly. That Mm -hmm. right there was an amazing gift. Nobody, Nobody in that group judged me for things I wasn't able to do at the time. And that was pretty cool.
0: Yeah, sounds like it. And let's shout out to Katie Peck. Yes. For introducing us. I am. Yes. Oh, Katie, Katie, Katie. (laughs) And I had the opportunity to listen to both of you on Adoptees On podcast hosted by Haley Racky. And you do a wonderful job in explaining the benefit of The writing group Flourish. Yeah, so that's that's cool.
1: Katie and I, you know, became friends early on in the Flourish group, and she requested I make a piece of artwork for her. So we went through that like in the first couple months of Flourish, and that was really an amazing experience to do for her and with her. And then, of course, we continued to still meet, and I really, yeah, my friendship with Katie, I really adore.
0: Yeah, Mm -hmm. Katie, SPEC is a lovely lovely person too. You were thrown in, into reunion at the age of 19.
1: At the age of 19. Mm-hmm.
0: Wow. So where you want to start and however much you want to share about your, your relinquishment? Absolutely. Your adoption um, journey. Yeah.
1: You know, just, you know, responding to the reunion at 19, I was caught off guard. My parents had decided that they wanted to meet my biological family. And I had throughout the years, you know, said I would really like to meet them, but the topic was never discussed. There was no really discussion about it. honestly, there was no discussion about them meeting my biological family first, but they did. And they met with my biological father and his family. And I didn't, I didn't (laughs) know. Um, But then they revealed it to me later on in that day that they had met with him and, Showed me pictures of, I have two younger siblings, full biological siblings. And then I was told that my biological mother had died when I was probably about 11. So many years before I was able to search out and meet any of my biological family. That was really hard to take in. Oh, I still have blocks that don't allow me to really register that I will never meet my biological mother um i've got stories and of course i've got pictures it, it, in my mind she's still frozen at probably 17 in my mind even though you know she she was in her late 20s when she passed
0: um oh, i'm sorry yeah so
1: it was yeah that was hard to learn but she was 17 when she had me and at the time i did not know this but she had also relinquished uh, my older sister the year before. So when I think about her story, which is so important too, she was so young. She was so young and had to relinquish two daughters
0: mm.
1: into adoption before she graduated high school.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that is hard. That's hard for me to think
1: about, you know, part of me is like, who was protecting her, you know, who was watching out for her. Those are the things that come, come to my mind. I, I don't have anger towards her. Um, I have a lot of sadness, mm-hmm. you know, and I also have grace. Because I cannot imagine how difficult that would have been as a child. Wow. She was literally a child.
0: Yeah. I know what you, you mean for two reasons. One, my biological mother had been deceased 16 years when I learned of her identity. And and the second thing is she was 16 and pregnant and made to relinquish by her parents. Yeah. And yeah, it makes me sad to know what she was going through at such a young age. Like you say, still a child, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think I've ever had anger towards her, no. Mm -mm. No. No, and I
1: think everything that I've read about trauma and in utero, like I think about this the fears that she had were also being transmitted into my body, like her feelings and her grief and fear and whatever was going on within her, that was going through me. And also knowing then that, my older sister had been in the same space. It it gives me pause, and it also helps me understand
0: why I am the way I am. Were you able to locate this the older sister?
1: Yes. So moving forward in my story, so that was when I was uh, I was in reunion with my biological father's family. I have two younger sisters, full one half sibling. At that point, I did not know that my older sister existed. I was not told. Um, It was kept a secret from me until she reached out and found them in 2004. My older sister had reached out to find our biological family. She wanted medical information. She said that she never really felt like she needed to know who everybody was, but she really wanted to know all the medical information and then once she was meeting everybody and found out all this information about her two, you know, her three younger siblings or four younger siblings, her and my biological father did meet. And of course, during that time, then she found out about me, which to to have her tell it, she was so angry that she left her Meeting with our biological father and felt like she just needed to leave. Um, they she came back and they had their conversation, and but I I understand why she felt at the time so angry because when I found out about her, my instant thought was, Oh my gosh, I have somebody in my life who understands, Mm -hmm. and then it turned into deep sadness and anger because. 19-year-old me could have really used an older sister, mm. you know? Yeah. But we, today, we talk every day, every day. Mm. Um, we have so much in common, you know, just for the simple fact that we were both relinquished, you know, um, raised in two different families, obviously. But again, we still have that first abandonment. And, of course, we share all of our genetics, too, which right, is quite right. amazing to see. So, <laughs> right. yeah.
0: Yeah, that's pretty cool. hmm
1: Yeah. And she has four children. And, you know, her youngest don't know a life without me being her sister. That's
0: pretty amazing, too. Yeah. So how many years has it been? Oh my goodness! You're gonna make me do math. (laughs) That wasn't my my strong subject either. So you're you're in good company.
1: (laughs) Okay, so well, that was in 1995. Wow. I can't do the math. Oh, that's fine.
0: Yeah, I, I just wanted to get an idea because I remember another guest saying that she was in reunion about the age of 19, and she's in her mid 50s now. Right. And one of the things she expressed was that she's glad she had a lot of her answers or questions answered early in oh. life, right? And so I was right. going to ask you, how did, how do you see it? How do you feel about knowing at such an early age, having answers?
1: At that young age, I was well, well into my 40s, I was still in people-pleasing mode. So I didn't ask a lot of questions. I wish I had. Society and within my own family, I was told, well, don't ask so many questions because you might you might hurt feelings or you might make somebody sad. I kind of vacillated between don't ruffle any feathers because they're going to leave again.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And making sure that everybody felt welcome and happy and loved by me. So asking questions, I didn't feel like I had the option, because that would have upset someone. Mm. Looking back on it now, oh my gosh, I have so many questions still that are so unanswered. But I am no longer in reunion with a lot of my biological family, sadly.
0: Yeah. So when you think about the title of your piece that you read so beautifully for or my audience, did you feel a sense of belonging with your adoptive family, or did you feel like you fit in?
1: Oh, it's so hard. I have to be honest with you and tell you no, on both. The belonging, no. I didn't feel that, and I I know I didn't fit in. It's kind of funny. I was the square peg to the round holes. <laughs> what my adopted family was, I was like on the way other end of the spectrum. Mm. I've always been a person that needs recharge and alone time and I've always been creative. I've always loved to make artwork, whatever that means. My family was creative, you know, my adoptive family that I was raised in, but in a different way. For instance, I grew up with horses. My sister and my mom and my dad, they loved it. I was terrified. It was just like always like, oh, well they love this and I don't, or I love this and they don't. And it was also pointed out to me quite regularly that I did not look anything like them just simply because I was blonde and fair. And you know, both my parents have dark hair, my sister has dark hair, more of like an olive complexion, whereas I am pale as pale can be and the blondest blonde, at least when I was little. So just the mirroring wasn't there. At all, But also, I was a very, very emotional child. Of course, now that I know, of course I was emotional. That wasn't really okay. Anger wasn't okay growing up. Both of my families, we don't talk about being upset. We only talk about happy things. Mm-hmm. And truth is hard. Truth is the truth as not as anybody's lying, but the truth of I hurt. Neither family wants to accept that that I hurt and I have feelings,
0: that's, that's hard on me too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, your beautiful artwork made the cover of the Flourish Experience book. Thank you for sharing with me the entire piece. It's beautiful.
1: Thank you. Thank you. And it's called
0: mirroring, Right. Yes,
1: mirroring. (laughs) When we first started creating the artwork, there were three artists and we would get together on Zoom, you know, because we were nowhere near each other. And we would show each other what we were working on. And we got to tour everybody's studio space or where they love to work. We worked on these pieces together. It was such a fun experience to be able to do that and then show up and be like, okay, this is what I've got done. Can you give me any input or I chose to create the piece I did of orchids because to me, orchids are so delicate and, and you know, can easily just go away. They also don't have to be planted to grow. Mm. So that to me felt very adoptee. Right. You know, feeling not, I'm not planted. What, what do you mean? I, my, I was taken and my I, I don't feel planted, you know, so orchids don't have to be in the dirt to grow. And then they will grow on a host at times. So I was like, oh, well, that's kind of like growing in your adopted family or the family you were raised with, you know, but your, your roots are still exposed. And, you know, that's not, it's not quite normal. When I was creating the piece, I just had this need to create the opposite of colorful. Because before finding my way into the. Adopt verse or adoptee community I just felt like I always had to water myself down I always had to not be who I truly felt on the inside or not express my feelings the way I wanted to I just felt like I needed here it comes again I needed to fit in quote mm-hmm. unquote right. and I didn't so everything kind of felt gray I was you know expected to behave one way or think one way. And, you know, honestly, as adoptees, we do that to survive. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: We melt into our, into our families or, and also I melted into the background. Like I just didn't want to be seen very much because what it felt like to be seen was I didn't feel like I was worthy of being seen. I was too, too much and I, I was burdensome and not enough because I wasn't who others wanted me to be. So when I got into the adoptee community, I felt like the top of the piece where I get to be vibrant now. I know that there, there's nothing wrong with the way I feel.
0: Right. My feelings uh, are so normal. You're making you really me smile ear, ear to ear, yes. Okay. <laughs> I am feeling these
1: feelings and have all of this because the experience of relinquishment and abandonment is not normal. My reactions are normal. Mm -hmm. And knowing that now in community makes me really vibrant. It makes me want to be bright and shiny. Oh, it's just amazing. Yeah, and that's how Um, you should
0: feel, yes.
1: Exactly. (laughs) Like, I shouldn't feel like I have to water myself down or, you know, I should feel so, I should feel celebrated. Right. And I think all of us adoptees, we deserve celebration. We
0: deserve, oh
1: my gosh, we deserve so much. We survived so
0: much. Yeah. Um, And I love orchids, by the way. Yes. (laughs) I do. And I cherish this Flourish Experience, The Power of Adoptee, Healing, and Community book. I'm so Mm -hmm. glad everybody participated and it's out there in the world. It's a beautiful thing to feel a sense of belonging. And I truly think that this episode that we have created, co-created together, really puts the finishing touches on what it means to belong like like belonging is is a beautiful place to be in your spirit absolutely fitting in just doesn't cut it for me anymore you know
1: i can look at every single person at zoom and i can literally picture them with me (laughs) cheering me on like look at you. You're amazing. We do that for each other (laughs) because we belong in this family that we created. It's amazing if somebody needs to talk or puts a call out in our chats, there is always going to be someone that is ready to take the call. And that is an amazing thing. I didn't ever have that growing up. So when a tough thing happens, we can reach out and there's always somebody within the flourish group that is right there. Most and more.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And doesn't it feel just as good to to receive as it is to give? Absolutely. The support to one another in those spaces.
1: Yeah, we support one another. We don't judge one another. I know that they would be there for me no matter what. And they cheer me on as I go through my healing process, you know, with my agoraphobia, which I know now is trauma responses. I have been making leaps and bounds within the last six months, doing things that I haven't been able to do for five years. Mm -hmm. And their encouragement and support is so instrumental to that as well.
0: Mm -hmm. And so we do know life, real life does have challenges Along with rewards, yeah. Uh, so I I don't want to sugarcoat anything when it comes to the possibility that we as adoptees do encounter challenges within our community. Have you? Yes. Have, yeah. Have you experienced any challenges? If there are any, since ben Yeah. Connected. I
1: I have. I think as adoptees, I I couldn't be the first one to give grace to someone. I know. Myself. I don't know if everyone, but I I, it's a common thing. Like as an adoptee, I'm the first one to go, Well, they didn't call me back right away, so they hate me. You know, I put myself into that nobody wants to be around me thing. And we go there so quickly that yeah, there's there's bound to be conflict, which isn't a bad thing if we can open ourselves up to communicate along, well, why did I feel offended or defensive or what have you? And I think sometimes We're so quick to shut ourselves off rather than open ourselves up, even in the adoptee community that you can see where rifts happen and that that's going to happen. Like that rupture repair is going to happen. But I think sometimes in the adoptee community, we've been so hurt. It's so hard to open up again. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, If you feel, if you feel the slightest thing, but most of the community is amazing. It's such an amazing thing to be able to have that at any moment. Like I can jump up to Instagram or adopty Twitter or what have you and be like, okay, take a deep breath. You're okay. These, these beings understand where you're at and you're going to be okay.
0: Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I just recently heard this when it comes to the forms of communication that we have at our disposal, like emails and texting right. that... Sometimes when someone doesn't get back to me, I like you just said, I'm like, uh oh, mm-hmm. did I do something wrong or did they not yes. like right? And I recently heard that people most of the time it's none of that. Those fears that exactly. come up for us, right? They just simply forgot. And or they forget yeah. <laughs> or life, right? Yeah, life. But yeah.
1: I know I I shared this even last night in our group. I was like, oh my gosh, well, nobody joined me right away. So I was thinking, (laughs) oh no, nobody likes me anymore. They're upset with me. (laughs) All of a sudden it's like, you can go down to the the biggest hole to the nothing place and nothing is wrong, Right, but it's like catastrophizing to the nth degree. And of course people start joining me. And I, of course, of course they're joining me. Of course they're not ignoring me, but how quickly my brain goes to that is, is something I have to remember every day, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I do mm-hmm. too.
0: Yeah. Well, this has just been great. I I love talking about belonging and it was Brene Brown that, that first introduced me to knowing the difference between belonging and fitting in. So yeah. thank you for this conversation. Is there anything- Thank you, you. Is there anything I didn't ask you that you want to share? Oh my goodness.
1: I have so many notes here. Let me go through that really <laughs> quickly. Oh my goodness.
0: Yeah, take your time. Um, One
1: thing that came up when you had asked about what, what maybe were the three most important things about my adoptee experience? One thing, and, and this could be true among, among the adoptee population. Number one, we're truly survivors, right? Mm-hmm. In so many ways, we fight and we change to survive. As a kid, even into my 40s, I used to collect evidence about me being the problem. In my environment because that first abandonment not even knowing that that was the wound I had I was so quick to say oh well see that's why I'm the problem that's why I don't belong here that's why I don't fit in it's me going through the fog getting into community with other adoptees I now collect evidence that I am not the problem Yay. I collect evidence <laughs> about <laughs> you know what? I'm a really super fucking good person. Right. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I take that swear out. I'm a really good person <laughs> and I am caring and I am autonomous and I match my actions to my words. And when I, when that happens in my life where actions don't match words, I collect that evidence
0: now too. Mm, that's so powerful you know? what you just said. When you said collect evidence as a child that, that you didn't belong. Yeah. But then you like, you had a transformation. That's what you I had. Because now you're collecting evidence that. That
1: shows me that I do
0: belong. Yes. No
1: one gets to have access to that unless I choose it.
0: I'm going to borrow that. I'm going to that collect there's so many so many
1: relationships (laughs) that people will say one thing and do another and you know once you see that you can't unsee it so it's easy to collect evidence now that it's like oh the actions don't match the words that boundary is getting higher or this person really sees me and respects me they see me for who I truly am and they love me with all my faults, you know, glimmers. And that's where I collect more evidence. This is the people I want to be with. This is where I'm going. That's where I'm collecting, you know, chosen family.
0: Yeah, that's that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Anything else in your notes?
1: <laughs> oh, my God. I know, I know. Oh the, other, oh, the other thing that I have realized that I have sort of, become or want to become a person that I needed as a kid, or I needed in my teen years, or even young adult years that could come up and be like, you're doing awesome, kid. There's Mm -hmm. nothing wrong with you. Your feelings are valid. And I respect you. And I will listen to you. I won't judge you. So part of my journey now is I want to give that to my nieces and nephews. Mm. Um, so I can be that person where, you know, something m- might not feel right, or they can come and talk to me and I'm not gonna judge. I'm just gonna say, well, let's see what we can do here. How can we help you feel better? I support them. I want to support them as as an auntie.
0: What a gift. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sounds like you're an amazing aunt.
1: I hope so. Yeah. I really hope so. I love them all so much. But yeah, I think that is probably the best gift I can give to them or anyone is just listen and be supportive, not judgmental, and give them the true love that we all deserve. Even if we make big mistakes, we still all deserve that love and support.
0: Mm, Yeah, I so agree. Well, thank you so much for having this conversation with me. I knew it would be great.
1: Thank you, Jennifer. I feel so comfortable with you. So sorry if I just keep rambling. Not at all. Yeah, I've really enjoyed this. I think we need to schedule a weekly meeting now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) A belonging meeting. Yes. (laughs) A
1: belonging meeting. Yes. Remember, you belong. Yes.
0: Right. Well, it's been so fun. Thank you so
1: much for having me on and allowing me to talk about some of my experiences. You know, knowing that there is an audience that actually wants to know my experience and my opinion, is quite
0: amazing. Michelle and I do need to schedule a weekly belonging meeting. If it's going to feel anything like an hour of therapy as it did during this recording. She once collected evidence to support that she was the problem, didn't belong in her environment, and now collects evidence to the contrary. And no one gets to have access to that unless she chooses it. A transformation took place for Michelle largely in part from connecting with other adoptees to write, be seen, see others, receive support, give it right back, and go on to publish her work with other members of the group. Through Reunion, Michelle has the opportunity to be an amazing aunt, I've long since believed that aunts are some of the most extraordinary, loving, and nurturing people in a child's life. Michelle wants to be the person she needed in her life growing up for her nieces and nephews. What a gift. I felt her love and support for them. Michelle's stating vibrant, bright, and shiny is how all of us deserve to feel resonates with me. I agree with her that we adoptees should be celebrated. Aren't we quite amazing? It's worth repeating that adoptees have survived, changed, or adapted to survive, and now are coming to the forefront with our narratives as a part of this movement. Thank you, Michelle, for having this conversation with me. It unfolded with a flow that far exceeded my every anticipation and thoroughly life-giving for me. As you said, I love that we adoptees can cheer each other on through Zoom, a phone chat, and of course, in a writing group. I couldn't agree more. I look forward to keeping in touch with you because you are a friggin' good person, whether anyone told you that today or not. I want to thank every guest for saying yes to a conversation with me, every participant, especially in the early days, and the audience for listening to some of the most extraordinary people I've had the pleasure of meeting. This endeavor has positively exceeded my every expectation, and it wouldn't have been possible without your gifts and time. If you're an adoptee and would like to share your adoption journey, visit com. If you like Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Follow and or give, hopefully, a five-star rating so others can find it too. During the course of your day, I trust you will tell at least one friend or someone who you believe might find value in it because word of mouth is still the very best way for the show to grow. If you seek to be an ally of the adoption community, I hope you will consider making a monthly donation of at least $5 or a one-time amount that works for you at patreon.com forward slash Adoptieland. Thank you for being here.